Today's episode of Concrete Credentials is presented by Aztec. Aztec offers the most comprehensive concrete product lines in the industry, which includes leading equipment brands Rexcon, Conico, and BMH Systems. Aztec is a full-service organization providing engineering, manufacturing, and installation services for our extensive line of portable and stationary concrete batch plants, mixers, material handling systems, and dust control. Hello and welcome to today's installment of Concrete Credentials. I'm Greg Lewis, Chief Communications Officer with the National Ready Mixed Concrete Association, and our guest today is Henry Batten. Henry is the President and CEO of Concrete Supply Company based in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he has served in a variety of his executive roles beginning in 1998. He received his undergraduate degree from Arizona State University and his MBA from the University of Alabama. He serves on the board of directors of Catapult in Charlotte and the Central Piedmont Community College Foundation. He also serves his community through Williamson's United Methodist Church and various charitable organizations. He is a past chair of the Executive Advisory Council for the Concrete Industry Management Program at Middle Tennessee State University. He currently co-chairs the Concrete Sustainability Hub at MIT. He is a past chair of the RMC Foundation and he is a former NRMCA chairman and has served in a number of industry leadership roles at the state and national levels. Henry, welcome to Concrete Credentials. Thank you. So our podcast audience includes listeners from within the concrete industry, obviously, and also those outside of the industry. I want to start with a focus for our conversation on how you view the state of the concrete industry, and then we can talk about the relationships the industry has with contractors specifiers and developers and their use of concrete. But I'd like to start the conversation by asking how you view your role as a leader in the concrete industry. Over the years, you've personally been very active in NRMCA, serving on committees, the board of directors, and and ultimately as chairman of the board of directors. What has that active engagement meant for you personally, not only for you personally, but also for your business? I would say in the industry and in RMCA in particular, I've grown extremely in my knowledge of concrete, my knowledge of what our industry does, how we contribute to society. As you didn't necessarily have in my bio, I came from the dark side, which was the asphalt world, into the concrete world. And I like to tell people I'm on the right side right now. But it, it's helped in not only my knowledge of the industry, but in developing and enhancing relationships with individuals throughout the industry. I think that's been very critical to our success because I've been able to lean on a lot of people over the years to help improve our business. And I think if you talk to people in my company in particular, I'm not necessarily motivated to be the best of anything. I'm very motivated to improve our operations, improve our contributions to society, improve our employees' benefit of working here, their job environment, improve in, in the markets in which we function and help those markets grow. I've learned a lot in how to accomplish those things and improve our business as we, as I've dissipated within our MCA. 
I don't know if that's quite a leadership thing. It's a good perspective, though. And I guess what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, Henry, is drill down a little bit further on that and just ask, if you had to pick, I'm going to put you on the spot, if you had to pick the top three things that NRMCA does that supports Concrete Supplies mission, would you say those are? First and foremost is development of people. So NRMCA has wonderful educational materials, sessions, courses. It's not like we've got people just sitting in the wings ready to assume some higher level role or contribution in our company. And we're generally hiring people that have never been exposed to the industry. And our speed at which we can enhance their understanding has been remarkably better through NRMCA and in conjunction with NRMCA, number one. Number two is their commitment to safety. I fully believe in NRMCA's efforts to improve the safety performance of the industry. And and it's critical that we do so. There is nothing about our industry that should be deemed unsafe. And we spend an enormous amount of time and energy on safety performance and training and reinforcing training and re-educating individuals. And NRMCA has been integral in that development. For example, one of the key aspects of the items that NRMCA has ever produced is the Certified Delivery Professional Program. And we use that in our training for drivers. We also use the certified plant manager coursework. We do it with salespeople. So we're utilizing all of the offerings of NRMCA. But in particular, the most significant contributor has been the safety program. And then the third has been the ability to benchmark your operations. And there's both formal and informal processes and programs within NRMCA. And so I spoke about improvement and I clearly want to be near the top performer, but we're not going to be that in every category and every aspect. But what I am hopeful and very motivated to do is improve and help people improve. NMCA gives us the opportunity to be at financial metrics, be it operational metrics, or even mechanical metrics, certainly cost and efficiencies, be it the data survey or the fleet management survey or the safety performance surveys. We can, across a broad spectrum of size, scope, volume, whatever you want to look at of your business, compare ourselves and identify specific areas of improvement. And that has been critical for us. I'm going to ask you to expand on your thoughts there a little bit, because your company is a longtime participant in the NRMCA's performance benchmarking survey. And you obviously recognize the value of that, but is there a specific example that you can give about how you use the data to identify an opportunity to improve your company's operational success? Yeah, and specifically, I'll talk about two of them, the industry data survey and the fleet survey. The safety we do use, but frankly, we are at a performance level that is so much greater than what the industry is performing that I'm out seeking the best of any 
not just ready mix, but the best of mining or the best of transportation or best in class performers to benchmark against. So I don't want to downplay the safety, but we are doing that. So on the industry data survey, we look at those operational metrics. So it could be yards per employee, yards per cost per yard of delivery, cost per minute of delivery. Those types of operational metrics, whether you're in a rural market, a mixed market, or a metro market, and what are those economics and efficiencies, and how do you compare in your operation compared to others? And we have noted where there were room, there was room for improvement the last, call it about 2018, 2019. And since we changed some of our procedures and our approach, we have seen roughly 15 to 20% improvement. Now, the beauty about an organization like NRMCA is that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We were able to basically mirror or take knowledge that was already existing in another member company and transfer that knowledge to our operations and begin to benefit from it. And so one of the benefits of that survey is to identify those key metrics that you're not performing at and then find out through dialogue within member companies who is. And the beauty about being a member, and I think of all the members, is that we are extremely motivated to share means and methods. And it's this rising tide theory and that we're going to float all boats up. And, and I think that's worked well. The second has been in the fleet management survey and the breakdown of equipment and the composition of the equipment. And I'm not going to get into the brands, but essentially what's the ownership cost of this type of mixer truck versus an alternative type mixer truck. And so we get into that and we can break those things down and understand, are we operating with the most efficient fleet possible? And that data that we're able to glean gives us insight into that. And so it does help improve our operation. So in addition to the benchmarking survey, Concrete Supply is also a heavy user, as you mentioned a little bit about the NRMCA's education courses and personnel certification programs. Can you explain why you choose NRMCA to train your concrete professionals and how that continuing education brings value, not just to the employees, but to the overall organization? We've been very pleased and a significant participant over the years in a number of NRMCA programs. But in particular, we are bringing inexperienced people into our industry and simply because there's just a lot of experienced people sitting out there. And if you are hiring them, you're generally either taking them from another company or they're moving to your area, what have you. But we are attempting to grow and develop talent. And we use as part of our development process, InterMCA's educational offerings. The whole motivation behind that is to enhance the speed at which we can train them. And InterMCA does a fantastic job in a very short amount of time in educating them on various facets. It's not one and done. It's multiple sessions 
but they're building upon each other and they grow almost like an inverted pyramid. You're growing their capacity every time they complete one of the sessions. And so our motivation has been to get them to a base level as quickly as possible where they can begin to contribute to our organization. In essence, it's much like going through maybe a, an associate's degree program and they become very knowledgeable. The second benefit that NRMCA generates by training is the ability to meet somebody in your peer group, your role in, in another organization who could become a peer that allows them to create a relationship and have dialogue. What's taking place in their organization? How are you addressing this issue or how has your organization addressed that issue? And I firmly believe the best ideas are always stolen. If somebody's already figured it out, we just have to implement what they figured out. And let's learn from them. Let's expedite our ability to change by what they have learned. And so that's what InterMCA gives us that ability is that those inner relationships that get created through the training programs. The work that you've done both in service to NRMCA and the industry as a whole through NRMCA and the things that you've gotten from being a member and your ability to lay all that out is, I think, very clear and very helpful, certainly to the other concrete industry folks who may be listening to this podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between state association and national association, because I'm sure you're aware uh, although some companies may look at what their state association does, for example, an NRMCA services and think they are the same. But as a member of both the Carolinas Ready Mix uh, Concrete Association and NRMCA, can you explain to the listener why you participate in both organizations and what unique benefits concrete supply gets from each organization? There are very similar characteristics. And in fact, I would argue that if I was in a particular state and that state was not aligned in a partnership or in the alignment of what are we going to promote that is not consistent with what NRMCA is offering to promote, then I would be changing my state leadership or I would not participate in the state's association. You would argue, okay, I've got NRMCA doing promotion level work why should the state also be doing promotion level work? And the reality is the vast majority of promotion is local. We have to get decision makers that are in a particular market. And the way our state approaches it is a joint effort. So they may make the vast majority of the calls to handle promotion activity, but they are doing it in alignment and in many cases, with the same materials that InterMCA has already produced uh, that might be used at a national level. And in many instances that I'm personally aware of, we would have both representatives of InterMCA and our state association making a joint call. It adds enormous credibility. We have subject matter experts and we also are leveraging the local relationship. So it's a very good tandem that works well together. Secondly, if you take education, for example, many state associations offer education much like NRMCA. In our particular case, we ask that our state association coordinate an attempt to offer 
the NRMCA's educational offerings so that we're not having to fly people to California all the way across the country just to participate. Now, it increases the efficiency of which the training can be obtained. And some people don't want to travel to do that sort of thing. And it allows them to do so in their local markets. And then third thing, and there's a host of things, but I'll just talk about these three that are important to me. The third is political activism. I didn't mention that NRMCA has a significant effort in lobbying and performance around lobbying, but there's also a significant need to do so at a state level. And it's very difficult, in my opinion, to be excellent at both. If you're an organization, you're either typically very good at the national level, federal level, or you're very good at the local level. And the reason it's hard to do both is politics is essentially a form of relationship management. And you do not have the resources or the time to be effective at both. And so we look to our state association to be remarkably engaged at a lobby local level on lobbying, things that would necessarily be accomplished through state legislative action. And at the same time, we expect NRMCA to be accomplished in their efforts at maintaining their lobbying efforts to assure that we're not getting hammered by some new ordinance or federal law or that a regulatory body is not coming down on our industry with misguided thought processes. And so we need that effort. And they're very, very different in terms of the resources that it takes, as well as the federals are like the Exxon Valdez. It takes, you need 100 miles. The state might be more like a cruise ship. You can turn it a little tighter radius. Oh, that's fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit more about advocacy and lobbying in, in a minute. I've got a question about that in the queue here that we'll get to, but your enthusiasm for the industry is contagious. And I'm curious what you would say to someone who's in the industry, a producer that's not an NRMCA member who's on the fence about joining NRMCA. What would you want to impress upon them about the value of that membership? You could look at participating at NR, in, in NRMCA for a number of different reasons. The thing that I would ask somebody is, are you motivated to improve, to grow, and to enhance your business? And if the answer to that question is yes, which, you know, if it's not, then they probably ought to be selling it. But if the answer to that question is yes, is there a better vehicle for the price to achieve that. And everything has a cost. And if I'm going to spend money on training and development, which we do spend it outside of NRMCA, I don't want to portray the picture that it's only NRMCA. We do spend outside of NRMCA, but we are extremely satisfied with the value that we get with the training that occurs within NRMCA. And I'm convinced it's much like buying insurance. You never really think about it till you need it. And NRMCA, when there's a problem, be it a technical problem, be it an advocacy problem, be it how can I convince this customer to use this product? How can I demonstrate that I'm more sustainable than an alternative product? The NRMCA has enormous 
resource and a wealth of knowledge to address those issues. I didn't even talk about the technical competency that NRMCA has, but we've leaned on them. We do have very bright people, but in our lab, I would say is fairly sophisticated, but it's not nearly as sophisticated as the lab at NRMCA. And we've had a number of instances where we've leaned on them to help us through a problem and their guidance was invaluable. It saved untold thousands of dollars and they're right there and it's simple to do. If you're not trying to grow, if you're not trying to improve and enhance your business, then I could see not participating. But if you're going to do any of those or all three, there's enormous power in participating in NRMCA to achieve those goals. The other part of this conversation, Henry, I think that's really important. One of the reasons I'm really excited that you are willing to come on the podcast is the people that are in the industry all over the country, uh, there's certainly great leadership, I think, in our member companies around, around the U.S., but the folks that are in the trenches doing the work, middle managers, folks that are out there getting the work done for the producers across the country, those mid-level folks, I think, are for obvious reasons, the future of the industry. They're the present, but they're also the future. And I'm wondering what advice you can offer up to up-and-coming industry members on the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead in their career paths. Yeah, it's interesting. I just spoke to a group of graduating seniors at UNCC. I got asked this sort of question. The thing I would say is don't hold back or limit your ability to learn. And I think many people, and I've done this, I mean, there's periods where I've reflected and said, I need to make a pivot where you're, you, you, you've somehow restricted your ability to learn or your desire to learn. I, I tell my kids all the time that I am the bearer of all knowledge. And, I, and obviously I'm joking. I've had some people, some friends of mine come to them and, and say something or ask them a question and they'll reply, my dad's the bearer of all knowledge. The reality is, I'm not, and I don't know that anybody is, but if you're motivated to learn, then you're motivated to grow. And I think it's critical because there are things that are getting more complex, clearly, but there are things because of technology that, that it's getting simpler. And I don't necessarily care that you're motivated to grow in the concrete business. I hope you're motivated to grow in any business platform. I want you to grow individually. I want, it's not just a business. Grow by reading, grow by experiencing, and grow by having relationships. And I think that's the most critical thing you can do to assure yourself of satisfaction in this industry and have longevity. It's a wonderful industry with just remarkable people. I have friends that are friends to this day that I worked with 30 years ago and we still communicate. And then I have retiree friends that I hate they're out of the industry, but I'm thrilled they're retired because their life is remarkable for them. And so I'm very happy. And I think that's the key. You, you cannot stop learning. You got to be motivated to learn and accept the fact that you just don't know everything. I hate to admit it, but that's the very truth. That part of it is obviously critical to everything that we do. I want to go back to the question of lobbying or advocacy. The concrete industry competes, obviously, in the construction materials space. We have seen policymakers, in some cases, making our industry compete on unequal terms. Our government affairs team at NRMCA works hard to ensure that we are competing on a level playing field whenever possible. 
What would you say is the key to getting our voice heard at the federal and state levels? And how would you encourage other concrete producers to get involved in that work? I think it's incredibly naive to believe that you're going to influence a policymaker or a legislator by showing up to a transportation coalition event once a year. If you're not going to engage those individuals on a routine basis and treat that relationship as you would a core customer or a core confidant or a very close friend. I'm not saying you need to be sitting at their house or they need to be at your house, but they need to know you and they need to know about you. Politics is remarkably distrustful by nature. And I just think it's incredibly naive to believe that you're going to change anybody's opinion or influence somebody's opinion because you met them once a year and you show up once a year. And politics is always local. There's 65 days in the year that they're in their district. And one or two of those days, they need to be seeing you. And now the flip side of that equation is if they're a good politician, you need to help them. And that doesn't mean give them every penny you got, but it does mean contribute to their campaign to be up there, to be your voice. And it's grassroots. It doesn't really matter who the president of the country is. It matters who's your representative. That's the most important thing. And then the last thing I would say is, by God, vote, because your vote matters. I see too many instances where there's apathy towards that process. And it just astonishes me that they will not vote. I organized way back when, 2003 or four. We just did not have a very good lobbying effort at our state association. And at the time, I was an interim CA, I think, PAC chairman or something. But I was spending a lot of time in D.C. We organized our event to go basically do a day at the Capitol, day on the Hill. And for three years, I had almost 200 people from our state industry go to the Capitol for the very purpose of just introducing themselves. And we weren't asking anything. We didn't say, hey, this is on our agenda. This is a hot topic. It was just, you're going to know us. We're going to know you. And that worked remarkably well because three to five years after that, we kept that going every year, by the way, but three to five years after that, when we needed their support on a particular item, we got it. What we built was credibility and trust. And I think that's critical. You're not going to do it just doing a once a year flying. You've got to talk to them and they're going to ask you what's on your mind, but at the same time, you need to ask them, what issues are you having difficulty dealing with? And let me give you my opinion on it. And I think that goes a long way to instilling trust amongst both parties. It's good insight. The future here for the industry, at least from my vantage point, Henry, I think is extremely bright. There's a lot of great innovation, a lot of great stuff happening, I think, across the country in the concrete world. And I'm curious from your vantage point, what you would like to see from the ready mix industry in the next, say, five to 15 years? Ooh, I would like us to finally communicate and demonstrate 
that we are the definition of sustainability in building materials. And that's not to say that we don't need to continue to improve where we are today. I'm clearly motivated to do that. But given all the choices in building materials and the global warming impact, even most rational people just don't comprehend the fact that concrete is one of the lowest embodied carbon products available. Secondly, I would like us to grow our application use. I think there's a number of engineering applications that we could become a participant with more so than we are today. For example, horizontal pavements, we're probably in the five to 7% range of market share. And not that we need to be 30%, but if we were 10% of the share, I think we, we contribute to the outcome of you build something to last as opposed to build something to maintain. And I'm a taxpayer and I pay a lot of taxes and our company pays a lot of taxes. And I would like the DOTs and the decision maker to be contemplating what is my ownership cost of this road as opposed to what does it cost me today to put in a lane mile of construction? Because I do believe the bigger impact to society, whether it's a building or a road, is the ownership cost of that. And I think that's, I would love to see the acknowledgement by the architect engineer community that they come to the conclusions that we already know. It's the way all of these different questions, I think really they link together in terms of things like relationships and engagement and doing the things that we need to do to communicate and tell our story right to the outside world, which is part of what this podcast is here for to begin with. And you mentioned, brought up sustainability, and I'm glad you did. That That was the next thing I wanted to talk about. Sustainability, and you and I have had a conversation about this not too long ago, Henry, but sustainability is front and center, right? When you talk with people in the, in the architecture, engineering, and contracting community about building projects and I think paving projects. But not long ago, when you and I had that conversation about sustainability, I think your position then was noteworthy. I guess what I'm hoping is that you will share a little bit about your thoughts specifically on that topic, because I know the way you described it, not the flavor of the month, it's something that's intrinsic. And I'm hoping you can delve down into that a little bit more. Yeah. So I've always had the perception that we need to be motivated for continuous improvement. And being sustainable is of that mindset. I think I probably used the term flavor of the month. It's not, here's the hot topic today. Um, Let's see what we can talk about tomorrow. I think it needs to be embodied in the organization. It needs to be embodied in your thought process of how do I operate this business? If you're not, then you're of the mindset that everything's a throwaway. And that's not how the world needs to function because resources aren't just going to continue indefinitely. Mining's not, and you're always having to find a new pit to mine. If you're making cement, you're having to find new materials to source. If you're making concrete, you have to find sand. Those things are not just going to, and they're not growing them again. It's not like a tree where we can plant it and get it or some sort of food product. So we have to be ultimately of a mindset that it's going to be circular in the sense that 
we're not necessarily consuming greater quantities, but we're reusing quantities of destroyed or no longer valuable products or buildings or roads or whatever. We have to be of the mindset, how can I redeploy that? Because it is a valuable resource. Same thing for us. Like a good example on the ready mix side from an operational standpoint is we use a lot of water. And it's a very precious commodity. How do we only make use of the water that is needed for concrete production? Meaning all the water we got to use to clean our trucks and clean off the yards and clean the pavements. Can we recycle that so that it's absolutely not lost? You might lose it through evaporation, but can you recycle it? And the answer is yes. And you can do it efficiently. It's not without cost, but you can do that and make it routinely part of your operation. We're trying to do that everywhere we operate. If we have waste, what are we doing with that waste? That waste has a value as opposed to just being thrown in a hole or something like that. And so we're trying to create products. We're trying to separate the products. We're trying to crush the products and reuse it. Anything that we can to sort of consume the waste and have zero waste or zero discharge from operations today. In the future, I think there's going to be a time where anything that came back in the form of leftover concretes or washout is all going to be consumed in concrete. Because like today, we're capturing carbon and we're injecting it into concrete. That's a great technology. You know, there's a couple of companies that came up with that. There's a great technology and it's very beneficial to the environment. We just need to figure out how to do it at a greater rate. And because concrete can encapsulate it, much like flash. Flash is a wasteful product from coal-fired production. We incorporate that. And once it goes in and it's in a hardened state, there's no issue with the environment. And the beauty about it is we can bust it back up and use it as road base or bust it back up and put it in the next batch of concrete, something to that effect. And we need to be of mindset to do that and be committed to that as an industry. And I think the industry is, it's been slow, but the industry is committed to that. And I know NRMCA is. That's why I wanted to ask you specifically this question, Henry, because as an owner of a company, the CEO of a ReadyMix producer, you're clearly passionate about it. You're articulate about it. You understand the issue on a number of different levels and can put those ideas together in a way that I think is clear. And I think in addition to informing the folks that use our product, that we're committed to that. I think that's important, but I also think it's important for the leaders of our industry to be able to communicate that down through their organization. So I applaud your ability to This is the thing I don't like about sustainability. What I don't want to have happen is somebody that has no knowledge of the industry that shows up and says, why are you wasting that? And that's a forest in the trees concept. Sometimes we're of such a mind and narrow focus of how we're operating the business that we don't see something that is, is minuscule or minor and we just you know, it's a waste, so we throw it away and do away with it. We need to be stewards, the best stewards of what we're doing and have somebody from the outside say, oh my gosh, this is a clean, this is a remarkable, there's no waste at this business. And I always tell our people, the best way to demonstrate that you are 
maintaining the operation of your business is to be inspected and not have people asking these ridiculous questions because it looks like you're, you're wasting this. There's money being thrown away or you're polluting somehow. That, that's ridiculous. That should never happen. Never happen. Clearly, you get it. And I think there are a lot of folks at your level across the companies across the country that, that get it as well. I'm interested, we've talked a little bit about relationships, and one of the key relationships that, that the producer has is with the contractor, right, that, that is the one that selects and purchases your product for a project that they're working on. When you're developing and building relationships with contractors and others, obviously, it's been a cornerstone of our industry's growth. I don't think there's any question about that. But I'm curious from your from your view in those relationships, how should we collaborate with the customer to meet project sustainability goals and to better respond to the changing demands that we face? Because they are changing. How would you address that question? I'll tell you how we're addressing it. We have an individual who's essentially sole role with our organization is to be out promoting sustainability and incorporating, for example, carbon, incorporating recycled materials for both those projects that ask for it, but those that don't ask for it. And frankly, that there's more that don't ask for it than there are that do. And let's face it, sustainability is not inexpensive. If it were, everybody'd be doing it because it'd be lower cost operations. And I think that the business has to understand the relationship between the economic costs of the activity or the action and the benefit to the potential benefit to society. We've made the choice to, for example, with carbon, we're not upcharging the customer for carbon, the injection of carbon. It's we got to buy it because it comes in a liquefied form. We got to buy equipment to to put it in, into the concrete. We got to buy equipment to monitor it, things like that. My choice was, this is something we need to do as a business. It's much like being safe. I view spending the money on training and everything else is something you have to do as a business if you're going to be responsible. And I think our industry is very responsible. Everybody's got some bad actor somewhere, but the industry's not filled with those organizations. They're filled with companies that are very committed to that. And I think that should become part of the discussion. It's not just the price of the concrete. Thankfully, people are starting to look at EPDs, environmental product declaration forms, and what's your product, what's your impact to the environment. I think that ought to be critical. It ought to be a requirement of the homeowner down to to the a 75 story vertical tower i think all of them ought to be asking that the government did this and i think industry needs to pursue this but if you think about it, you're going to buy a refrigerator you're going to get this little tag on there it's going to tell you how much energy this thing's going to consume same thing ought to be with concrete but we ought to do it voluntarily and recognize that this is our impact to society if we're going to consume X energy or how can we lower that cost or that consumption of energy. And that be ought to be our motivation. It's just not, can I get the lowest cost concrete I can produce? I'm not necessarily motivated by that. I, I, we could be cheap all day long. 
I'm not <laughs> motivated by that. I'm motivated by being better, improving what we're doing, improving the sustainability of our operations. Reducing that is equally important to me as reducing cost. We, as an industry, we talk about sustainability and have been more so in the last, I think, couple of years maybe than historically, which I think is, which I think is good. And as I said at the outset, I think there's a lot of really good innovation happening. But the way that you're talking about it from a business perspective, I think makes a whole lot more sense just in terms of thinking about how what you do can be improved on a daily basis. I could talk, we could talk, and maybe I'll have the opportunity to have you back on to to talk about some of these other topics. But I'm gonna I'm gonna cut to the chase because we're running up on time. And that's to ask you, what is what would you think the overarching message should be or that you would like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I assume they're all concrete related listeners. This is my first podcast. And I don't want I hate to admit this. I've never listened to a podcast. I'm not even sure where I'd find it on my phone. I need to get one of my daughters to help me. But the thing I would say is the road ahead is clearly heading to improvement. And you should be excited about the opportunities that are going to present, both in terms of sustainability and in terms of opportunity and in terms of communicating the value proposition of the concrete industry. We're not perfect in every application and we shouldn't be in some applications, but we are good for buildings, the building environment, the built environment, be it roads, structures, and we should be motivated to improve upon that and embrace that change of improvement. I would encourage them to get involved in their state association, but I'd equally encourage them to get involved in the national. Collectively, we are we're a remarkably strong industry across the country and globally but collectively we carry an enormous voice and enormous credibility and the better aligned we can be as individuals in that thought and process the better off the industry will be and it will only accelerate the speed at which we can adopt the new technologies and the new processes that we've talked about are coming. I think that's critical. And I'm excited about the people that are coming. I'm genuinely pleased with where the industry is and its development of talent and exposure, be it the CIM program that InterMCA helps support or the developing industry leader program that InterMCA manage and all the course content. I'm excited about the quality of the individuals more so than it's been in my tenure. I think it's getting better. Clearly, the capabilities are getting better, not worse. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's a lot of good news. Henry, I appreciate your taking the time out of your day and your busy schedule to, to chat with us. We'd also like to take this opportunity to thank our Concrete Credentials podcast listeners. Please remember to subscribe to Concrete Credentials which is available wherever you get your podcasts. We also strongly encourage your participation in this important conversation. Please reach out to us with your thoughts and feedback, as well as your suggestions for future content by emailing concretecredentials at nrmca.org. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Today's episode of Concrete Credentials was presented by Aztec.